Good morning. So good to see you here this morning. Welcome to Gateway. It is Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend. We made it. We made it. Time is flying by, isn't it? And how many of you have to labor tomorrow? Anybody have to labor tomorrow? So we can all get the grill out tomorrow, wear white, right? Wear white one last time and celebrate the American worker. If you have a job, if you're retired from a job or you need a job, say amen. amen. All right. You know what the Bible says, if anyone is not willing to work, he shall not nap and eat. It actually says eat. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. I know we've got a lot of people out today because of this last four-day for some. I guess they took Friday this long weekend, uh, some on the campground. And if you're listening at your campground, I'm not praying for rain for you today. I want you to have a good last hoorah. Uh, but typically, I pray for rain if you're out camping and it causes you to miss church, but not, not today. We begin a 10-week, 10-sermon series today, a 10-sermon journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Are you ready for it? It's 10 sermons, not 10 weeks, because actually, although this is uh, uh, just three chapters in the Bible, we're going to spend all the way up until the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Now, that sounds like a long way off, but it's not really that, that far off. It'll be here before you know it. Uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna take our time through this Sermon on the Mount. It was preached, most scholars believe, at the North Shore of the Sea of Galilee, where there's some natural places for, uh, you know, for Jesus to go up on a mountainside, go up on the hillside and look down and a crowd gather there. Uh, no doubt hundreds, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people were there. And it, it is so popular, that place, that they built a church there called the Church of the Beatitudes. In 1936, they built this church, and this is an octagon-shaped building because, you guessed it, there are eight Beatitudes. That's what kicks the sermon off, and that's what we're going to kick the sermon off with today, these Beatitudes. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest single recorded talk by Jesus. It's the longest one. We have a lot of talk from Jesus, but at one sitting, this is the longest recorded talk, and it's only found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. There is an abridged version of it in Luke, Luke's gospel, but uh, it doesn't have all of it. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 has all, what we believe to be all of, of this sermon. And Jesus actually gave this talk, this sermon, while he was sitting down, and the people were standing. You know, I've been thinking about that. I think that's the way we should do it. I should sit down and you should stand up. Because if you fall asleep standing up, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun for all of us to watch, right? And chances are you're not going to fall asleep standing up. And the teacher's not going to fall asleep sitting down. So I think we've got it all backwards. But that was a typical posture of a rabbi in the first century, that a rabbi would sit down and his disciples would stand around him and soak up these nuggets of truth that he was, he was giving to them. 
The entire sermon only takes about 10 minutes, maybe 12 minutes to read in one setting. But like I said, we're going to take 10 sermons because there's so much in there. There's so much in there. There's 107 red letter verses. And you know a red letter verse means who is talking. Jesus is talking. And so we're going to take our time because it's worth listening to Jesus talking. Amen? The world needs to listen to the red letters. 111 verses total, but 107 red letter verses. And uh, we're going to work our way patiently to soak up every nugget of truth. Now, before I tell you, uh, you we're, before we start where we're going, and I, I tell you uh, the, the gist of today's sermon, I want to tell you that this, these two, three chapters, this message, uh, includes some of the most challenging verses in the Bible. They're very challenging. They're, they're revolutionary. They're radical. They're life-changing. It is going to challenge us. It's going to it's going to get down into those spaces in our heart where we're not comfortable with. I just want to tell you that up front. Now, all of these messages you can see if you use the QR code there on the back of a chair or somewhere around the facility, and you get to the sermon outline, go to the message in the sermon outline, you can see on uh, page one, the sermon outline for today, but also on page two, you can see how I've broken the series down. So you can see how we're going all the way to the, uh, through, through November, I think I have it on there. And you can see the foundation Sundays, the last Sundays of the month. And then so for September, there's three Sundays that we're going to be in this series, four in October, three in November. And you can see where the passages are. And I'm telling you this to tell you this. Read those. Study those. Digest those. Absorb those. Read them from different versions of the Bible. And when you come in here on Sunday, you will have read the passage several times that week, and you'll know exactly where we're going and what we're going to cover. And you might have questions as you read that you want to uh, see if you get answered. And you're always welcome to text me or email me or pull me aside and ask me any of those questions. But th this, is some, this is some tough stuff. You have to remember that these people who are hearing this message were Jewish people. Jewish people based everything on a, a set of writings in the Old Testament. Anybody remember what they were called? It starts with the word 10. <laughs> 10 commandments. When God gave them the 10 commandments there on Mount Sinai as they began their journey with him, everything sprang from those. And over the centuries rabbis and uh, teachers, they would take a commandment and then they would extrapolate that commandment and there would be 10 other commandments from that one commandment. So in other words, uh, thou shalt not uh, steal. They might have uh, 10 commandments about what it means to steal. You could steal in a lot of different ways. The Sabbath rest, you know, there was a lot of writing on the uh, resting on the Sabbath. They had Writings about how far you could walk and what does it mean to rest? Is it if it start breaking a sweat? So how far can you walk? And so these laws were compounded onto the Ten Commandments. There were over 500 of them, 544, I think. And they all of these came down to the people of the first century. And these listeners to this sermon were first century Jewish people. 
and they had all the law and the extrapolations of the law. It's called the Mishnah. Uh, you know, you had the you had the law, and then people wrote about the law, and the Talmud. These are Jewish words, Jewish writings, and so. These people who are hearing this first sermon, they had all of that in their mind. It's like, okay, what kind of a religion are we starting here? What, what is this new thing going to be? Who, who's this guy? You know, he's Jewish too. Jesus is Jewish. They were Jewish. They all knew the law. They learned it in Sabbath school from little bitty kids on up. They knew it and they knew it well. And they knew that the most important thing for them was to obey the law was to obey the law. Now, in Jesus' day, there was still the sacrificial system. They were still sacrificing animals. That didn't go away until uh, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in about 70 AD. And they destroyed the temple and the altar and everything, and they could not offer any more sacrifices. So then, and especially now, it's all, for a Jewish person, it's all about the law. It's all about obeying the law. It's all about obeying the letter of the law. You remember the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, hey, what can I do to inherit eternal life? You know, this rich young ruler, I don't think he was really asking so much as I want to tell you who I am. Jesus said, okay, well, keep the commandments. He said, I've already done it. I've already done it. And that was what was important to young people in, uh, in Jewish in the Jewish lifestyle, especially in the first century. And it's important to them now. Just obey the law, do what the law says. But what they forgot was the, the heart of the law, the heart of the law. Why did God say, don't do this? So it, it, for them, it was, they went around the heart of the law just to the obedience of the letter of the law. And what happens when you do that is you become legalistic. And now it's just all about agreeing with me. It's all about doing what I say you have to do. It's all about seeing things the way I think you should see them. And legalism uh, is a dangerous thing. It has destroyed many churches, many churches of many different tribes and brands. So these people had missed the, uh, the heart of the law and they had turned their religion into a rigid lifestyle. So what we have when we have the Sermon on the Mount is you have to, you have to look at the, listen to the Sermon on the Mount with the law in the background. And oftentimes in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to make a reference. He's going to say, you've heard it said that if you kill a man, that's murder. But I'm going to raise the bar a little bit here. I'm going to get to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is your hatred for someone. It's your hatred. He didn't come to abolish these. A lot of people say, oh, he did away with the Old Testament. No. He came to fulfill them. He came to get the people back to the heart. You've missed the heart of the law. Your life is so legalistic, you think just by doing the right things. But God is more interested in you doing the right things. He's interested in you becoming the right person. And that's, that's what we have in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus modeled, this heart relationship. And I tell you, we need this today, don't we? So if you're not convicted or convinced by some of the stuff we're going to study over the next few months in this series, well, if you're not, 
your convictor button may need a new battery. Amen? And get one of those big ones because you're going to be convicted. Oswald Chambers said about these chapters, Oswald Chambers, a great theologian of the last century, he said, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. No, the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. That's what we sang. We just sang that song, Spirit. When you move, I want to move. What you say, I want to hear it. And so the, the Sermon on the Mount should be looked at this way. It's, just, it's not just, oh, these, these are cool things. You know, Mahatma Gandhi, he, he took a lot of Jesus' teachings, but he divorced them from the lordship of Christ. He acknowledged Jesus as a great teacher, but he's like, oh, I've got some great stuff too. Let's share, uh, let's swap some stories. No, this, the Sermon on the Mount is a Holy Spirit lifestyle. That's what Jesus is talking about here. What it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This is what it looks like. And, and you and I are going to be challenged. Is this what my life looks like? I hope that's what you end up asking yourself time and time again. Is this what my life looks like? So let's get started. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. You know, those were the first recipients, others that spilled over to them. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. Now, how many of you know what the next word is? And it's repeated all the way down through the first 12 verses. Blessed. Or if you grew up in church like I did, it's blessed. You know, I had an aunt that could take a one syllable word and make it about three syllables uh, blessed or blessed 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 this word blessed is the greek word makarios makarios is a word that simply means happy or fortunate fortunate that's the title of today's message blessed how many of you would say that you are blessed anybody let me say you're blessed yeah but wait a minute, when we think of blessed, we think I got a good life, driving a nice car, living in a nice home, gonna grill out tomorrow. No pork chops for me, it's gonna be steak. Pork chops are good too. Fried bologna maybe for some of you. Still a lot of good food gonna be consumed tomorrow. Amen? A lot of celebration of life and family. A lot of gratitude. God, thank you for what you've given to me. I am blessed. I'm so blessed. The ancient Greeks referred to their gods as makarios, blessed. And they did so because uh, they were the ones who were free from earthly worries and struggles. You know, the gods didn't have to worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, the home they have. They didn't have to worry about uh, these little petty things that we deal with today. So, are any of you f that raised your hand that you're blessed, are you free from earthly worries and struggles? Anybody? Anybody here? I don't think probably there's anybody that is free from those. But yet you still say you're blessed. Why is that? Well, because we know, and maybe if you're not a believer here today, you might still feel blessed. 
but we would have to talk about where does, where does that feeling come from? But we know as believers, as followers of Jesus, our happiness, our joy, our blessing comes from a different place, it comes from a different standard. I was just talking to uh, Big Dave Lavender, one of our elders at our Marmat campus, and he said this this past week, he, <clears throat> he drove down and he helped uh, an old friend clean out his basement because, you know, it flooded on that end of the county. It was so, I mean, I'm, I'm like, wow, we, I didn't even know anybody that flooded, but now I know uh, some folks that got flooded. And, and Dave said with every scoopful, he was just counting his blessings that this didn't happen to him. But, and we would be the same way, but even Kitch, who got flooded, could say, it's all right, I'm still blessed. I'm still blessed, still blessed. We live by another standard. And so uh, let's look at what Jesus says about a blessed life. It might look a little different than what we would describe it as here in 21st century America. Now I've categorized these eight Beatitudes into four categories because I think that they're connected in a way that they build on one another. I, I know this isn't common and it might not even be correct, but it's a way I feel like I can uh, share it with you easier. And I believe they build on each other. I don't think you get to the last one or the last few before you get to the front few. Now they're great standalones. You can read one of them and really be ministered to, but I think they were given as a way of saying, here's what's gonna happen in your life as you follow Jesus, as you grow in maturity. Here's what's gonna happen. And so let me prove my point here. Let me just make a case for that. The first three Beatitudes are what I believe are the roots of a blessed life, the roots. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, each of these first three Beatitudes really reveals a condition of the heart and represents an attitude of brokenness or humility. This was the attitude of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, come to me, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Paul writes about his humility when he said in Philippians 2 that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. So Jesus' attitude was humble. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't lording it over people. You know, when, when you, uh, we first started going to Haiti, we would, uh, Haiti's very religious, except a lot of them are confused about Catholicism and voodooism, and they just all mix that together. But they have uh, buses, they're called tap-taps, because when you want to ride, you tap-tap, and when you want off, you tap-tap. And uh, on the back of those tap-taps, they have pictures of Jesus. And I want to tell you, when you first see those pictures of Jesus, you're like, yeah. I mean, it's Rambo Jesus. It's Rambo Jesus, it is. There's bulging muscles. Uh, you know, he's, he's cut, he's ripped, maybe a headband, a little blood coming down, but he's, he's the kind of Jesus you're like, yeah, I'm following him. I don't think Jesus looked like that. I don't think he looked like that. I think Jesus was fit 
No doubt he was fit because he walked everywhere he went, right? He walked everywhere he went and he had a Mediterranean diet. He ate a lot of fish. So he was fit, but I don't think he was ripped. I think if he had been ripped, they would have followed him because he was ripped. Right? I mean, they, those, back in the day, those were the warriors you wanted to follow, the ripped ones. So I think Jesus was, uh, he was, he was strong, but he was gentle and lowly in heart. This is his attitude. It's the attitude of a follower of Jesus. First Peter 3, 8, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and what? A humble mind, a tender heart and a humble mind. That's supposed to be our attitude. So these first three are the roots of a blessed life. You take the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Being poor in spirit doesn't mean to be poor in material things. That's not what he's talking about here. You can, you can have material things, you can have wealth and be poor in spirit. You can, you can be poor and be poor in spirit. Or you can have the reverse of that. You can be wealthy and be uh, arrogant. Think you're something and you can be poor and think you're something. So it's an attitude of humility. It's an attitude of inadequacy. It's an attitude that, man, I can't do this. I need help. I need Jesus. At, and at no other time are we more broken than when we mourn. There have been people here in our congregation who've been mourning, who've lost someone. And when you think about loss, loss of a loved one or maybe a pet or maybe something that you've lost or misplaced, these, these things hurt us, don't they? They hurt us. And we come broken. We're like, what, what could I have done to stop this? Why didn't God stop this? And we, we just kind of feel empty. We feel empty. The Bible says that's when the Lord's close to us. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, Psalm 34 says, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, meek. Now, who do you think of when you think meek? Who do you think of when you think meek? Some TV character or something, uh, maybe, uh, I, you know, I'll date myself here a little bit. But that's okay, because I am dated. Uh, we used to use the illustration of Marty McFly. How many of you know Marty McFly? Yeah. Uh, or um, uh, Urkel. Urkel? Uh, okay, so you know him. Who else is meek? When you think of meek, sometimes we think weak. But meek is not weak. Think of Clark Kent. Clark Kent, now there's Meek. I mean, he looked like a pushover, but when he hit the phone booth, y'all remember what a phone booth is, by the way? Are there any phone booths around? Are there any public phones around? Anybody know where a public phone is? There's one in St. Albans. There's one in St. Albans. Used to be one at the post office. Think of power under control. That was Jesus. Jesus could have come down with a heavy hand. He could have knocked some heads around and said, hey, you're gonna do what I say. He could have come down all ripped and, and pushed his way in and had his way that way, but he, he didn't. He came down with power under control. There's an old song that says he could have called 10,000 angels 
but he didn't. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He let that happen. You know, in the Bible, in the book of Numbers chapter 12, Moses was called the meekest man on the earth. Moses. You think of Moses. He was not weak. I mean, he faced down, uh, you know, the, the, the guy who killed his, um, uh, or, or the guy that beat his Hebrew brother, he killed him. He faced down Pharaoh. And he was not a meek, he was not a weak man. But he was meek. And you know the funny thing about Numbers 12, when it says Moses was the most meek man on the earth, I, I hate to tell you this, but he wrote that. He wrote that. Now what is, I don't think he wrote that. I think his wife wrote that. I think his wife said, okay, you got to write that. You got to write that. No, no, I can't write that. If I write that, it just you know, ruins it. She said, give me the pen. I'll write it. Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Okay, now you finish. I, I think maybe something like that happened. Uh, because it kind of disqualifies when you say, I'm the meekest man on the earth, right? So, uh, but he was, he was meek. And um, uh, meekness is power under control. It's an attitude of humility. It's an attitude of, I don't have to have my way. It's an attitude of, I don't get to call all the shots. It's an attitude of, I know I could stand up and fight this, but uh, I'm going to send a bigger message here. I'm going to send a bigger statement, and I'm going I'm to let them have their way. You know, that's, that's what we live with. You have to let people be wrong, right? Anybody? It's okay to let people be wrong. You can be wrong if you want to. Sometimes we think we're always right. Does anybody here think they're always right? Don't elbow the, your husband or your wife. So these are the roots of a blessed life. And what I mean by that is that it, when you approach Jesus, you've got you to gotta be humble. You've got you to gotta be empty. You've got you to gotta come in saying, Lord, I'm not, I'm not coming to church. I'm not joining your people. I'm not, I don't want you for the business contacts I can get or for the, for the notoriety I can get or for the pats on the back I can get. I'm coming to you because I desperately need you. I'm mourning. I'm broken. I'm poor in spirit. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. The fourth beatitude is the longing of a blessed life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Righteousness means a right relationship with God. So we're hungering and thirsting for this right relationship with God. We, we want to be right with God. Our world wants to be right with God. It needs to be right with God. I think people are hungry for this. People are hungry for something, for something other than their own life. And the Bible often talks about the word hunger and thirst when it talks about their, their longing they're longing for God. Some, let me read some. Psalm 42, 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, 1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Psalm 143, 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. In Amos 11, 8, 11, God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. You know, we ought to wake up every morning and, and we, ought to, we ought to want to hear from God first. Before we turn on the TV, before we turn on our Facebook feed or Twitter feed, before we turn on our Insta, Instagram reels, whatever it is, we ought to want to hear from God first. And folks, it's so easy today. It's so easy. You can, you can sign up for ourdailybread.org. Sign up for that daily devotional. It'll come early in the morning in your email, your, uh, your inbox. And you can open that up and read it or you can click on it and let it read to you. Close your eyes and hear first from God. It's a great little tool I've been pushing for the last few months. Many of you have the paper version you've had it for years but this is right to your inbox and we ought to long for that we ought to long i want before i get into the junk of the world before i hear what's the garbage they're spewing i want to hear from god i want to i want to hear i want to hear something from him that's my breakfast that's that's what my soul needs every day not just on Sunday, but every day. And folks, it's so easy. We live in a day of technology where you can have this delivered right to your inbox. You can take it into the bathroom with you if you want to and play it. When you're hungry for God and you're hungry to hear his word, that's evidence that you, your life, you're, a, you're becoming who God wants you to become. That's the life he wants to see from you. And if you truly long for his word and his will and his way, you can have it. You can eat from the table of grace. You can drink from the water of life. Jesus told the frazzled woman at the well, he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water, water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And that's what Jesus was getting at. He was getting to her, her heart. Yeah, she had been in many relationships, but he said, let's cut through all of that garbage. Let's get to what your soul needs. The next three Beatitudes are the fruit of a blessed life, the fruit. First you have the roots. That's what I think it takes to come into a relationship with Christ. It's where you start. Humility, brokenness, meekness, power under control. You're holding yourself back, letting him have his way. And then the longing is what your life's going to look like from now on. I've got to hear from God. I want to hear what the Bible says. I want to hear the word preached. I want to worship. I want that. And then here's some fruit that's going to start happening in your life. It's just going to happen. You don't have to, you don't have to plan for it to happen. You, you don't have to make an appointment for it to happen. You don't even have to remind yourself to make it happen. It's just going to happen because you're walking with Jesus. You have a longing for him, a hunger and thirst for him. The blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You're going to start being more merciful. That means forgiving. You're going to forgive easier. You're going to offer forgiveness. You're not going to carry a grudge. You're not going to carry a chip on your shoulder. You're going to forgive quickly. Sometimes even before they ask for it, you're going to, that's the fruit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. You're going you're gonna to start getting uncomfortable with the things of this world. 
that creep into your heart, the language that you hear on the TV shows you've been watching, the junk out there that you've been looking at, that's gonna make you uncomfortable. You're gonna start saying, this isn't for me, I know there's better. And then you're gonna be able to see God. You're gonna see him at work because you got that junk out of your life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Instead of getting up and fighting and having your way, instead of standing up and saying, hey, uh, this is where we're going to stand and I'll fight you over it. No, you're going to be a bad way. We need peace. We need peace. That's the fruit of a blessed life. You become merciful, forgiving. Your heart becomes unhappy with unholiness. You want purity and you become a peacemaker. And the reason these are fruit and not roots is because I just don't think this happens early. I don't think it happens immediately. I think this is something you grow into. I don't think you start following Jesus one day and the next day you're rid of all the things in your life. It might happen for some people. They may throw down their addiction or throw down this or that. And that's good. God can give you that. But for most of us, we have to, we have to grow a, an, a, an unease. We have to grow an unease about the unholiness in our heart. And we have to find ways to cut that out and let him cut it out. So it's something we grow into. The message says you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. So we, we're about making peace Colossians 1.20, the Bible talks about Jesus setting the tone for us. He came to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, God could have knocked some heads together to have peace, but Jesus said, no, we're, God said, no, we're going to have peace this way. And this is the revolutionary way of our faith. Other religions do not have this. The way of Jesus is not by might or force. It's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. It's through humility. And it's through peace. It's through peace. It's a way that our world is not familiar with. But our world needs to see more of. The last beatitude is the inevitable result of a blessed life. It's the one we wish he hadn't have put in there. He could have stopped right there after the peacemaker thing. That would have been good, but he had to go on. He had to go on and tell us what's going to happen now, what, what's the result. When I start making peace, when I start having a pure heart, when I start forgiving people, here's what's going to happen. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to take advantage of you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can we be blessed when we're persecuted? Yeah, we can. You remember, I think of James, and the reason we picked James for our focus verse is because James, the brother of Jesus, not a disciple, not one of the 12, rather. He was a disciple, but not an apostle. He heard a lot of what Jesus said, and a lot of it shows up in the book of James. Well, James has some, he has some beatitudes. We read one 
James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So you're blessed when you stand up under trial. James starts his book by saying, count it all joy when you go through trial. Again, I like the message version because this is the attitude that martyrs and people who are facing persecution, even persecution to death, this is what they had in their mind. Now let me tell you guys something, it's coming. It's coming in your lifetime. In your lifetime it's coming. The ridicule, the persecution, the making fun of, the marginalization, it's coming. And if you are gonna follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted for it. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be marginalized. I just heard, I just heard that these prosecutors are lobbying the judge in their case, whatever that case is, to remove two or three Christians who are on the jury or who are in the jury pool. Because they argue, these Christians are going to bring a certain set of values to this case. Amen. Well, duh, exactly. So now there are prosecutors out there who are like, they recognize if you're a Christian and if you are really a Christian, you're going to hurt my case here. You're going to have a certain worldview that you're bringing it in with. And that, that's where it's going. And it's creeping in on your TV commercials. It's creeping in on your TV shows. It's creeping in to the, a county near you. Two weeks from yesterday in Putnam County, of Valley Park, there is a Metro Valley Pride event going to happen. And one of the sessions, I mean, there's going to be drag queens and there's going to be the whole works. And one of the sessions is satanic rituals and how that meshes up with a good life. And this is supposedly going to happen September the uh, 16th at Valley Park. It's coming. It's coming. And I had a guy come up to me after the first service and said, hey, we're not going to let that happen. I said, well, who are you? He was a, he's just a, a businessman down there, influential businessman. He said, we give a lot of money to the park. It's not going to happen. I said, well, I hope you're right. But there's some disagreement between the, the mayor of Hurricane and the, uh, the, the uh, Valley Park people who want it to happen. And the mayor says it's not going to happen. So there's a clash. There's a clash of, clash of, of ideas and a clash of worldviews there. And let me tell you, we need to pray about this. We're making a decision this week. We need to pray about it. But, but we may win this battle. And it might be that next Sunday I stand up and say, here's our plan. It's going to happen, but we're going to happen too. We're going to pray. We're going to show up and pray. We're going to drive every vehicle in our driveways and fill up the, seat, uh, the, the car. Uh, that was an idea some young man gave me in the last service. He said, just take everything and fill up all the are the parking spaces so they can't park anywhere. Whatever it is, we're going to do something. And we may win this battle, but the war, the war's coming, folks. The war's coming. And you got to decide, are, are you going to, 
you going to stand under the pressure? You're going to take the heat? That's what Jesus is telling these, these guys. This is going to happen. It's going to happen. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Listen, we don't want to be the generation that lets this garbage right into our homes. That makes it normal. I'm worried now about my grandkids. What they're going to grow up as normal. And it's not, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, unless you could swoop them away and take them into a, a, a secluded place for the rest of their lives. There's nothing we can do about it. It's going to happen. But what we can do about it, I'm, I'm saying there's nothing we can do about it coming. We can stand up against it, but when the government goes rogue and the church goes to sleep, evil flourishes. All we can do is prepare ourselves prepare our families, prepare our hearts to stand up and take the heat and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so if you're dabbling in the devil's toolbox, if you're already struggling with sin, pornography, addiction, some other secret stuff, if, if that's already going on in your life, you're not going to be ready to fight the real battle. You're still fighting your own stuff. And yeah, you need to fight that, but you need to get past that. You need to, you need to get past that. And you need to link arms with those who are on the front lines trying to save people who are dying and going to hell because the devil is scooping them up and they're buying into his worldview. That's the kind of lifestyle Jesus is calling us to. It's the, it's the blessed life. Blessed may also be messy at times. That's what the journey we're going to be in over the next 10 uh, sermons. And I hope you're ready for it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your blessing. Thanks so much for the lifestyle you call us to. God, I pray we'd have the courage to walk in it. I pray for these things going on around us. Help us to be people of prayer and conviction. Help us to be people who are urgently teaching our kids and grandkids what's right and what's wrong, not based on the culture, but based on your word. And help us to live it out in front of them so that they see what it looks like. That's my prayer, God, today in Jesus' name.